get lost, please. Thank you. I can tell you that every job has its ups and downs, and a union can't change that fact. I mean, it is the magic elixir of our of our age and of all ages. What it does for prostate cancer is amazing. You get $200 million profit and you didn't have to pay any tax. Isn't that true? Listen, it's, it's Is that fine. true or not? It's, yes or it no? It is. You do not pay a profit when someone, a, a, a tax when someone Maybe makes you sell assets. For you become Secretary of Treasury so you didn't have to pay the taxes. Oh. Uh, <laughs> In bunch, Hello, welcome back to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. We're here for our first episode of the new year, 2019. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. I'm joined by my friends. Yogi Polywall. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. And uh, our first billionaire for, for 2019 that we're covering <laughs> is a guy who knows how to party. Oh, yeah. Uh, and of course, we're not talking, as much as Jolo. <laughs> we're talking about Mukesh Mbani. And um, he made the news... Essentially, for throwing a one hundred million dollar wedding, and uh, <laughs> and it's just one of those things where it's like, if you don't know what that's from, listen to the bonus episode. <laughs> it's one of those things where the, the the reporting you'll see on this is is very surface level, where it just says, "Hey, the richest guy in India threw a one hundred million dollar wedding, allegedly for his, for his daughter," <laughs> and they never really go into like, "Well, how did he become the richest guy in India?" <laughs> But I mean, you know, just kind of on the face of it, there is the um, ironically wedding planner. <laughs> his downfall is he got high from his own supply. Well, that's, what are you gonna do? There is just kind of like the, um, the the unsaid implication, which is, of course, in India, um, as of 2014, 58 percent of the population lives on less than three dollars. Oh, here we go again. White people talking about India. It's uh, just like with yoga and chai once again, whitewashed <laughs> by the colonialist again. Would you like to give these statistics, Yogi? No, you know what? Let's let's do Sean <laughs> Duo because I'm pretty sure he's got the numbers on his side. Do you want us to report all the numbers in crore? I yes. Please do them in crores and locks, please, for for our Indian listeners. And then uh, tell us the average income of an Irish person, and then talk about how uh, the Irish were the real victims of the British Empire. Yeah, but do it in your Colin Quinn accent. <laughs> For just five Patreon dollars a month, you can help a child in India by subscribing to our podcast. My cousins would appreciate and raising awareness. <laughs> the only podcast that does poverty statistics about India. Uh, you can help us spread this message. But yeah, but yes, and um, so the other one that's uh, pretty depressing is about forty-two percent of the underweight children under five years old in the world live in India. So again, you're spending a hundred million dollars on a fucking wedding, uh, a wedding that is attended by Beyonce, who does a private performance. Uh, former Secretary of State John Kerry. There's a video of him dancing in flip flops. <laughs> Turning down for what? <laughs> I have been known to turn down for anything. I mean, in, in John Kerry's defense, he's uh, done a lot for lowering India's percentage of malnourished children by pushing the blockade on Yemen and really increasing their percentage of world malnourished children. Hey, a win's a win. Yeah. Also, uh, interracial couple royalty, Priyanka Chopra and Joe Jonas, the mm. finest... Of the our nation's entities, <laughs> Joe Jonas and Priyanka Chopra. Was Nick Jonas there? Or did they just get one Jonas? <laughs> you don't get all three brothers. <laughs> they broke up for a reason. <laughs> an interviewer asked him why he's why Mukesh is still earning money at forty four billion net worth and he's like 
I need to get more Jonas Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I can't just... One is not enough. Listen, I'm a big Joe head. Being the richest man in India it means nothing. If you, if you only get one Jonas Brother at your wedding. Why do you think I started Reliance? <laughs> Uh, but yes, yeah, so hundred million dollar wedding uh, attended by John Kerry, performance by Beyonce, Hillary Clinton. Uh, again, speaking of the Yemen blockade, <laughs> um, uh, yes, Nick Jonas. They apparently rented out or uh, five different five star hotels exclusively for guests of the wedding. Uh, That's uh, twenty five stars right there. <laughs> the but, where they were married is uh, the town that I fly into. Uh, Udaipur, and then we drive to where I, I I live in India. So it um it's always interesting where like you know there's a a whole other part of India that I don't know that well because I'm not from there, mm-hmm. like the south and the uh, east and uh, parts of the north. But uh, anytime uh, Western celebrities or just w- very wealthy Indian people want to do like an Indian celebration, mm-hmm. they just choose to go to the the corner that I'm from. <laughs> it's it's so frustrating. Mm. Um, but yeah, so th- this week we're kind of focusing on Mukesh Ambani because uh, we-, we mentioned up top, Mukesh Ambani is the richest man in India. He's as of right now, um, uh, January 2019, the richest person in Asia. He's richer than Jack Ma. Uh, Forbes estimates his net worth at about $44.4 billion. He owns, yeah, he owns a 44.7% of Reliant... <laughs> Reliance Industries, which is a, a company that cr- comprises 3% of India's GDP. So it's, uh, by market value, the biggest company in India, and he owns almost half of it. And um, it's a lot to... Ch- also, um, yeah. one of the most prominent uh, industries, or one of the most prominent companies in uh, India, uh, with its own uh, theme song that Stephen found. Mm. And the winning spree kept gathering even greater... That's a uh, Hank Azaria right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I mean, I thought I had a longer version of the song, but it turns out it's got uh, a spoken word part by Frank Azaria. And the winning spree kept gathering even greater pace in this fourth decade of reliance. That was rap, actually. Oh. Can't stop Hank Azaria. All right, we get it. Is there, like, a video over that of just, like, people handing briefcases full of money (laughs) to politicians? This is where we do insider trading. (laughs) But... Uh, so Mukesh, so Mukesh and Bonnie, it's like we're biting off a lot here, so we're not going to get to anything, everything. But there's a when, when you pay off politicians in India, yeah. it's actually a giant dance number. There's a lot of different scandals. <laughs> Bollywood but it, influence, friends team. <laughs> it should be mentioned that Mukesh's younger brother Anil and Bonnie is also a billionaire, but he's only worth about two point seven billion. Um, Boo. Which, but so what a chooch. Get a job. We'll do a future episode on Anil. If you happen to be an expert on the Ambani brothers and you notice that we miss anything going through here, just hit us up on Twitter and we'll include it when we do the Anil episode. Mm-hmm. But um, so basically, uh, as of 2013, about 76% of Reliance Industries revenue comes from oil and natural gas. Uh, they're originally in textiles, which we'll kind of go through. But this is important because essentially energy, natural gas, these resources nominally belong to the uh, people of India the Indian state, you know. So 
you really just can't get around how this guy made, say, $44 billion by stealing things that belong to the people of India <laughs> and then literally demolishing a fucking orphanage to make his giant mansion in Mumbai. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he made his own Xanadu <laughs> by demolishing an orphanage. <laughs> He saw yeah. Annie and went, you know what? I like the <laughs> land that they were talking about. Uh, but so I guess we can, we, we should start with um, uh, Mukesh's and Anil's father because they were, um, they were brought up, ri- not, they weren't born rich, but their father became rich and then they inherited his mm-hmm. wealth. Mm-hmm. Papa Ambani, what was his name? Right. Uh, Deru Bahi. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct, isn't it, Yogi? Yes, that's perfectly correct. Call it. <laughs> uh, so he was born in 1932, uh, and I believe he was Bahia cast, uh, B-A-H-I-A, which I am told, or at least his category of it, was a Merchants and Traders cast. And so um, the, the grandfather, Darubia... Uh, Dirubai. Uh, du- the the, the Merchants and Traders cast. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, written in English. As, as per- <laughs> What's the English translation <laughs> of the Merchants and Traders cast? <laughs> the Gringotts, as portrayed in the Harry Potter books. <laughs> <laughs> um, Trade Federation. Uh, uh, so, Dirubai, um, there's a biography written called Ambani and Sons uh, by Hamash McDonald, and it was originally banned in India. This is a, this is a Western name. I'm not fucking it up. Hamash McDonald's Hamish, name? Hamish. 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 Hamish, yeah. Hamish. Um, Dirubai. Hash brand McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> but so, the biography... Uh so the book Ambani and Sons alleges that um, the the father Dirubai's his his executives were regularly passing briefcases full of cash to executives all over New Delhi. Really, uh, throughout you know the seventies, eighties, nineties, into the two thousands, um, they really never stopped. Yeah, but you know Dirubai uh, was born in poverty. This is the grandfather, not Mukesh. He was born in poverty. His uh, his father uh, Mukesh. Did you say he was a real Shylock figure? <laughs> Uh, his father, Mukesh's grandfather, was a ghee trader and a school teacher. Ghee and is a clarified butter, for those that don't know. It's a yeah. uh, topping often used on rotis and naans. And if you've had Indian food, you've had ghee. Hmm. Is, it, is it a butter made from cow's milk? It depends on how they make it. Yeah. You can make it with like just regular butter. You boil it and then skim off the top. But then there's other ways of making it as well. Oh, it's skim butter. Well, I mean... I mean, not 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 actually, but yeah, sure, you could think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Yogi's father was also a ghee trader. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but so, uh, uh, Sean, did, Yogi's yeah. Brahmin. You gotta respect me, Sean. Yeah, <laughs> he trust, is from the priestly caste. <laughs> I don't trust your make-like sensibilities. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Yogi's like, hey guys, uh, because you're doing someone from the BA cast, I'm not actually going to talk today <laughs> <laughs> because it, it would be. B- it would be below me to comment <laughs> on him. That's so right. you guys are going to have to... You guys need to do a bulk of the research on this. I can't even read about that. <laughs> um, but so... Uh, yeah, at the at the meeting planning this, um, Sean yeah. suggested uh, a billionaire from the untouchable class and Yogi just walked out. <laughs> <laughs> if I continue that conversation, I lose two casts. <laughs> 
Yogi has like a fucking um, uh, plastic gloves on <laughs> and like an extra thing over the microphone. <laughs> well, I'm Skyping this in. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, Dirubai graduates high school. Again, he's born in uh, uh, pretty, re- uh, pretty uh, poverty. He's born in poverty. But he graduates high school, and what he does is he gets a job in Yemen, which at this time is a um, British colony. So, you know, India, of course, uh, gets their independence in uh, 47, 1947. But, um, Supposed to now where it's an Iranian colony. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, the uh, genocide was justified. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so, Dirubai, he gets, uh, he gets a job for a subsidiary of Shell Oil uh, in 1951 in Yemen. So, in 1951, he graduates high school, he goes to Yemen, and he works in Yemen for about seven years. And he's actually like, he's very, you know, hardworking, diligent over there to the point where by 1956, he's actually the manager of uh, refueling operations at a military base uh, run by the Brits in Yemen. And um, Mukesh, for his part, is born in Yemen in 1957, but the family moves back to India in 1958. And the basic way this goes is, uh, as we mentioned, uh, Dirabai had been working in Yemen for seven years, and this is like a relatively middle class in terms of relative to the rest of India job. So he's able to build up some savings and he also gets a residence permit so that if things fuck up when he goes back to India, he can always go back to Yemen. But they, the family moves back to India in 1958 and he starts up um, his first business. And so basically the original idea is they're going to be like uh, spice traders. Um, oh, and then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> they, they, did they ride the sandworms? <laughs> so, yeah. So he has a second, and uh, so his startup capital is partly from what he's been able to save working in Yemen, but also he has a second cousin called uh, Dimani, and uh, his second cousin's father is retired uh, because of he had a, a business. Um, I believe in in Yemen as well. So his father puts in a hundred thousand rupees. His second cousin's father puts in a hundred thousand rupees to them going to this joint venture. Friends and family LLC strikes exactly. again. Uh, so yes, initially it's spice trading, but very quickly they move into synthetic textiles. God, I wish I knew more about Dune. Commentandus, <laughs> the spice must flow. Is their original business plan? Yeah. Uh, so so they didn't. They didn't have as much of a ring to it as. I mean, it is catchy. 100,000 rupees, you say? Uh, in, yeah, 1960, I believe, around there. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. That's or 1959. $1,500 yeah. $1, in 1958 money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and I believe it was, according to the Mbani and Sons book, he had about 3,000 3, US dollars. Now. But so. Let me figure it out. <laughs> This is why we need to get a Patreon, because we should not be Googling uh, exchange rates and inflation for fine. free. Oh, I see what you Yeah, we shouldn't have to be doing it for free. That's yes. right. We do this podcast for free. <laughs> There's definitely not six FBI agents in the room right now <laughs> monitoring six. us as we, as we sow discord on the left. Mm-hmm. Um, but... So what happens here is uh, they they start out in spice trading, but they move into synthetic textiles. And this is important because, again, early 60s, uh, essentially in uh, India, uh, nylon, polyester, etc. become, you know, throughout the world, but also in India at this time, become the cheap substitutes for, you know, cotton and silk, synthetic textiles. And so they quickly realize this is a big growth market 
And just quoting from the Imbani and Sons book, the uh, the Indian government at this time is you know nominally socialist, but it very quickly spirals into corruption. What's called the license raj. So the um, the British government uh, leaves, and then uh, the original Indian government is set up, and they very tightly control who can do what in industry. Mm-hmm. You need licenses from the government, so this very quickly becomes corrupt, whereby people will just pay whatever government official to get um, the licenses. Seven million. What. <laughs> It's not bad. Rupees. Rupees. Oh. Yeah. Um, so essentially, uh, just quoting from uh, from the Ambani and Sons book here, the problem for for uh, for yarn dealers was not usually to find buyers, but to secure supplies. The tightening of industrial controls and import quotas since independence had choked supply of all these, quote, luxuries. Uh, as the Brahmins of New Delhi channeled national resources towards new complexes making capital goods such as electrical turbines and steel mills. And so basically, that was kind of his early problem was figuring out how to get more of um, these licenses so that he could increase supply. And there was very small domestic production of these synthetics, you know, nylons, polyester. Mm -hmm. But the other way to get them was through import licenses, uh, what were called replenishment licenses, REPs. You were nominally supposed to use these as part of the manufacturer, but a lot of people, including Dirobai, essentially just got these import licenses, imported, and then you know sold them, right. resold them as a trader. So he's uh, able to make a double profit, essentially. Right. Well, essentially, because there's like such a controlled supply of imported nylon, polyester, et cetera, coming mm-hmm. in, because he's able to occupy this part of the supply chain and get these licenses, he becomes a big figure in the supply of nylon, polyester, et cetera. Gotcha. And so this is in the 60s. And um, uh, just again, according to the Ambani and Sons book, he, uh, Dirobai soon became the main player in the market for REP licenses because he makes connections with the government. He gets these licenses. He also helps his friend get these li- friends and business partners get these licenses, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, his dominance put him in a position of being able to turn on and off much of the supply of yarn into the Indian market, and this is by the mid-60s. So essentially, he's uh, doing very well for himself, and uh, I just want to kind of like do uh, one more anecdote here to kind of explain how Dirabai got his start. Um, him and his business partner used to, uh, like I believe every week, they would, him and his business partner would catch an early flight to Delhi, and then they would do the rounds of all the different politicians there, right. just cash bribes. And so the significant politicians, they would do cash bribes. But uh, again, from the Embani and Sons book, for the lesser bureaucrats, journalists, and others who helped promote the company's interest in various ways, Dirabai's standard gratuity was a suit or sari length of material made by his factory. <laughs> and so wow. this is from the mid-60s. Yeah. Um, you imagine your boss is like, well, I've got a briefcase full of cash. What'd you get, kid? You're like, I've got this suit. <laughs> it's a good suit, but it's it's not a briefcase full of cash. And so, basically, he starts out as, as we mentioned, a trader. But by 66, he's able to move into textile manufacturing, 1966. And uh, significantly, his first like major backer is T.A. Pai, uh, P-A-I, and this is a guy who's like from an old banking family in India, like from 1925, they had a, a bank uh, called Syndicate Bank, which was at the time a private bank, so T.A. Pai meets this guy, uh, and uh, he wants to like bankroll him, uh, but interestingly enough, um, uh, Dirabai 
after like receiving major. So 1966, we mentioned he moves into textiles. T.A. Pai's syndicate bank is his major funder for his move into textiles. And uh, but he does, interestingly enough, Dirabai starts making, quote, conspicuous donations to educational institutes run by the Pai family. Oh. So, you know, there's like some kickbacks going on with these um, these bank loans. And it's just kind of interesting. But soon they learn to uh, tame the tiger on the boat. But so life of pie. <laughs> but so essentially, the long and short is that the syndicate bank is initially a private bank that's giving him a startup. But what happens in 1969 is Indira Gandhi nationalizes the bank, but owned the the loans and the business support actually increases to Dirabai after nationalization. (laughs) So it's essentially he's managed to, by the late 60s, get his claws completely into the government. And just from there, it's like an exponential growth. And it's like another interesting thing where uh, essentially um, as a a, a apology, as it were, for nationalizing his bank, Indira Gandhi makes uh, T.A. Pai the commerce and later the industry minister, I believe. (laughs) And in this part... uh, T.A. Pai has a lot of influence over government policy regarding the licenses, so Dirabai is able to lobby him even more. And they set up this kind of complicated scheme, but basically in 1971, uh, he allows um, uh, Dirabai to import polyester and then sell it on the domestic market uh, in exchange for exporting some stuff. But he's able to be one of the only suppliers on the domestic market and sell polyester for like seven or eight times traditional international prices. Some stuff. So, what do you mean by that? Well, so basically it's just, as we mentioned about the license, Raj, there's like very little um, licenses given out mm-hmm. for people to import polyester. So because his friend T.A. Pai becomes um, either the commerce or the industry minister at this time, uh, he's able to set him up with this uh, import uh, permission to import polyester and then resell it at the domestic market and be one of the uh, few suppliers at the domestic market where the price of polyester were seven or more times higher than prevailing international price. Gotcha, gotcha. So he's getting this very sweet little setup in the early 70s. So it turns out the road to socialism (laughs) is not creating a system where it's very easy to form a monopoly. (laughs) Are you sure about that? Yeah. (laughs) But so, uh, as we mentioned, 66, he gets this bank loan. He sets up textile manufacturing as well as trading. Um, they set up uh, Vimil is their, their slogan. I don't know, Yogi, if you've seen in India, they have the slogan only Vimil for V-I-M-A-L. It's, I've not seen that. It's supposedly, according to these books that I read, uh, uh, very famous. Uh, the, the other book is Gas Wars, which we'll get to in a second. But um, Apparently that book was wrong. <laughs> But so, uh, basically, as we kind of mentioned, he's uh, flying out to the capital, making bribes to all these different politicians. He's closest to Indira Gandhi, though. Indira Gandhi initially becomes prime minister in 66. She loses power in the 70s, but she returns to power in 1980, um, in big part thanks to Dhirubhai, uh becoming a big funder of her. Uh, yeah, she loses, Indira Gandhi loses power in 1977. She returns to power in 1980. And um, this was uh, so significant. Dirabai was such a significant backer of her. The f- uh, if I can just quote from Embody and Sons here, the first big party staged to welcome Indira Gandhi back to government was held at a hotel in New Delhi. Um, was 
hosted by uh, Congress MPs from Gujarat with assistance from Dhirubhai. Political observers noted that Indira spent more than two hours sitting on the dais, dais receiving well-wishers with Dhirubhai at her side. Wow. And, um, and, and so we mentioned uh, Gujarat. Uh, it's interesting, like, he gets the this permission to set up textile manufacturing in Gujarat, and this will be significant later because uh, Nindira Modi, now the prime minister, was governor of Gujarat. So he has all these connections with politicians, but in particular, Indira Gandhi. Indira Gandhi returns to power in 1980, and uh, this, quote, opened a golden period uh, for Dhirubhai and Bani. In 1979, his company barely made its to the list of India's 50 biggest companies uh, measured by annual sales profits or assets. But by 1984, Reliance was in the largest five. Wow. So, and again, like, we're, uh, it's hard not to get bogged down in all the little details, but there's a bunch of little licenses, import stuff, particularly throughout the 80s, that favor uh, Dhirubhai at the expense of his competitors. Uh, and this is entirely possible because of Indira Gandhi's uh, favoritism of her government for him. What? Yeah. Indira and, Gandhi isn't the pure saint none of us thought that she was? Uh, yes. Uh, every, everybody loves her except <laughs> for uh, the Sikh bodyguards who shot her to death. <laughs> These are true things. Yeah. It was fun to learn about that. But um, and, and then just like to kind of continue from the Indira Gandhi thing. In October 1980... Reliance received one of three licenses given by the government for manufacture of polyester. Uh, its license capacity of 10,000... Also, she's a Gandhi by marriage. Yes. She's not descended from Muhammad Gandhi. I also learned that. Uh, its license capacity of 10,000 a year was by far the largest and at the time close to India's entire existing polyester fiber output. Wow. So Indira Gandhi gives him the license to become the only or major right. polyester manufacturer in India. Now, Reliance also makes a purified... Terraflatic acid is that mm. correct, Nadi? Uh, yes. Oh, and also, uh, she, uh, her, even her spouse was not related to Gandhi. Mm. He changed his name from Gandhi with a Y or with an H and a Y to Gandhi with no H and an I. Uh, but yeah, they uh, um, really, yeah, I yeah. know it. Um, what? But Crooks. she was she was really channeling the spirit of Gandhi when she rolled the tanks on that Sikh temple and killed 500 people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Operation Gandhi... Blue Star. <laughs> that's what his views were in South Africa. <laughs> yeah, so that's the story of Indira Gandhi, is that um, she, uh, again, comes to power in 1966. Uh, she's like initially kind of socialist, but she's kicked out of government 77, and then she returns in 1980, and at this point she's so cynical that she makes no excuses for just being completely corrupt. Because she's it's like, like what happens to Steve Jobs. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, got, he gets fired, <laughs> comes back, comes a megalomaniac. And then in the 19, we get iPhones. And then in 1984, <laughs> they do Operation Blue Star, which is some Sikh extremists take over a temple and they uh, disperse them uh, Waco style, which is the massive military uh, crackdown. Hell yeah. 500 some people are killed. And uh, Indira Gandhi, for her part, is shot to death by her two Sikh bodyguards. Sick. <laughs> And uh, what Janet Reno took from that is, uh, <laughs> make sure you get them all the first time. <laughs> um, but, so... Uh, I did do some research. Of course. And I read about how Reliance produces purified teraflactic acid. Mm. And I didn't know what that was, so I notified our lead physicist on our Grove Stickers team, Andy Palmer, to the case. Um, yes, and it turns out uh, my physics background had nothing... Uh, no connection to it, but 
before I went to college, I uh, worked in a bottle factory mm-hmm. that uh, made PET bottles, uh, which are basically uh, every Pepsi or Coke bottle or... These um, are, that's the, the chemical that keeps the populace docile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ev- pretty much every bottle that you buy any kind of pop out of or a beer at a baseball game, any clear plastic bottle is made out of PET. Mm-hmm. Uh, Specifically clear, not uh, colored. Or color, uh, any, or, or any blue, plastic. green, uh, like, you know, uh, a Sprite or 7-Up bottles, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much any color, yeah, po- uh, polyethylene uh, terephthalate mm-hmm. um, is the product, uh, or is, is made from um, terephthalic acid. Uh, no one is here to uh, correct me on that spelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, But basically... Um, Terephthalic acid, I think, is a product um, from. Uh, it's a byproduct uh, from petroleum, I believe. I could be wrong about that. It's very difficult to research. Yeah, and it. Uh, Podcasting is not easy. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, it, it causes a lot of dead air. Um, Terephthalic <laughs> acid. <laughs> no, so basically, if you have um, if you have a lot of control over uh, chemicals or any kind of uh, petroleum, you're going to have then a quick connection to be able to produce plastics, Mm -hmm. uh, PET plastics Mm -hmm. specifically. And so essentially if you create a lot of uh, PET, uh, PET is you're making a lot of money because PET is very widely used Mm -hmm. in all kinds of bottling and basically most plastic uh, applications. So that's one of the things that Reliance makes a dick load of. Yes. Uh, they listened to that guy at the beginning of The Graduate. Oh. Uh, instead of fucking Mrs. Robinson. Oh. And so uh, now they're rich. And oh. the uh, guy who fucked Mrs. Robinson is sad. Oh. But so just continuing on the story, in the 1980s, there's a major stock market expansion in India, uh, Reliance Industries at this point, again, because of the favoritism of Indira Gandhi's government, becomes... <laughs> It gets the the largest share of any Indian company uh, in the stock market Every, at this time. Every like, Indian song just sounds like a stampede <laughs> <laughs> that you didn't expect to happen. <laughs> like it's just all of the instruments doing a solo. And it works, but in some ways you're just kind of like, I don't, is that, was that a song? <laughs> Did I listen to music just now? But, <laughs> but uh, so 1986, Dhirubhai has a stroke. He makes he mostly recovers, but at this point, uh, the the two children take over more of the business. Mukesh is kind of a logistics guy behind the scenes. Anil is like the front face of the government, glad handing of the company, glad handing. I mean, I yes, the, the if government. You, if you only use one government, of the instruments, no, I mean the it just sounds like you're stoned. Yes, because they're meant to be played all together. But then you just play one instrument, like the sitar, and you've got like George Harrison's getting high amp anthems yeah sure i mean you know also it's a very um it's a very uh, stoned type of music it's it's a uh, it's an explosion of sounds from their album yeah. drug discovery yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the is that the paramount groups mm-hmm. yes but uh That's so <laughs> i'm told in uh, the 1980s a, a joke in india i believe this is in the gas wars book went what's the most powerful political party in india the Reliance Industries Party, or whatever. 
you know, so even by the 80s, this is, you know, multimillionaire, uh, most, one of the most powerful people in India. And this is what Makesh and Emil, Anil are able to inherit and right. start out with. And um, just like interesting stuff. So uh, the, the father, he has another stroke, uh, Dhirubhai. Oh. He dies in 2002, <laughs> but he leaves the family fortune at about $6 billion U.S. dollars as of 2002. So again, this is what Mukesh and Anil are starting with. Um, but so we've kind of gone up to how, you know, corrupt the government was. Real rags to riches story for these kids. <laughs> we've kind of gone over how corrupt the government was under what was called the license garage. And you can so, say is. Yeah. Well, that's the, the, the story is that. No, Modi cleaned it up. Yeah. Throughout the, uh, the 80s. You and didn't the put ni- a toilet in my house. <laughs> throughout the 80s and the 90s, this was, you know, the golden era of neoliberalism. So everybody had the idea that it's like okay, the solution for corrupt governments like this is you just privatize stuff, and then right. you let market forces take over, and this will get rid of the corruption. This works time and time again. And of course, and in ma- Russia, market forces yes. meant uh, mafia. Market force is the name <laughs> of the guy that beats you up. Yeah. It, w- it was a euphemism for semi-automatic <laughs> rifles. I am market force. <laughs> this is force. <laughs> <laughs> Invisible head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, market forces uh, what destroyed that Sikh temple under Indira Gandhi. <laughs> uh, but so, basically, they... Or Modi's mass pogrom when he <laughs> was a regional minister <laughs> that killed tens of thousands of Muslims. Market forces. So, in ni- 1991 is the big turn in India to kind of like neoliberal privatization under this naive idea that this will reduce corruption. But of course, what happens is the people like Dhirubhai and Mukesh and Reliance Industries who have the ear of the government are all first in line for privatization. And this is particularly relevant for oil and natural gas. But uh, I did uh, just want to highlight one random thing. In 1991, there was a share. So they, they go on like an acquisition spree in the 90s, 80s under you know the starts of kind of privatization. But in 1991, there's a shareholder meeting to approve an Ambani Brothers takeover of a Bombay engineering firm. And at this meeting, it distends into a fist fight and massive brawl <laughs> where uh, both Mukesh and Anil were on the stage and they had to flee. <laughs> so, you know... Uh, and Dhirubhai has like kind of a very controversial reputation by the 80s because like a lot of newspapers allege rightly that he is corrupt with, you know, Indira Gandhi right. and stuff. So, you know, there's there's this kind of animosity towards uh, the, the family and the company that a takeover meeting descends into a fist fight. <laughs> um, but so... Uh, I guess this is kind of like where Mukesh's story really begins. So Mukesh, you know, he gets his degree in chemical engineering from the Institute of Chemical Technology. Uh, But then he goes for an, uh, as we mentioned, he was born, you know, 57. He goes for an MBA at Stanford University, but he leaves in 1980. But it's just kind of an interesting random anecdote here. He's in the same class as uh, Microsoft billionaire Steve Ballmer. And so in 2004, CNBC... Rest in peace, King. (laughs) He's still alive. It's Paul Allen who died. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you can't kill Bomber. <laughs> that man runs off of the energy of the people who hate him. You see him dance at Clipper games? Yeah. He'll oh. live 100 years for every time he says the word developers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so... Uh, there was a... Uh, you doubt this is just a tangent. There was... Balmer Hall, yeah. which clearly he bought his name on. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I thought it was Chapsticks. <laughs> it, it, it was it was uh just down the way from um uh 
the much more problematic Sieg Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Which, how they got away, how how someone let a guy with the name Zieg buy a hall, <laughs> put his name on a hall. <laughs> anyway, back to back to. Uh, so bombers being interviewed by. That CNBC. was the 1930s, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> he was stopping communism then. <laughs> But, oh, so, yeah, this is just, like, a charming anecdote from the book Gas Wars, um, which I read part of. It's it's very dense. It talks a lot about the corruption stuff, but it's, you know, like, obviously they hide this behind a lot of complicated formulas for pricing and this kind of stuff, so it can just kind of blow your mind to try and wrap your head around it. But one interesting anecdote from this book is in uh, November 2004, CNBC has, you know, Entrepreneur Summit or whatever, mm-hmm. um, where uh, both uh, Mukesh Ambani and Steve Ballmer are there, and they're talking to, you know, the assembled crowd. And so Mukesh Ambani talks about how, you know, uh, he came back from Stanford where he went with Steve Ballmer to help his father build Reliance virtually from nothing to a, a $23 billion corporation. Not true, of course. That's a lot. But, uh, <laughs> but so Ball, Steve Ballmer goes up after him and Steve Ballmer says, I want to put one piece of information that Mukesh left out of his very wonderful and kind introduction. Uh, I hope he won't mind. But in our class in Stanford Business School, there were exactly two people who dropped out at the end of the first year, me and Mukesh. And then from the Gas Wars book, this was a shocker. For decades, the world had believed Mukesh was an MBA graduate from Stanford what? University. <laughs> so, and apparently uh, he was like kind of pissed and like stormed off. Mukesh was uh, that he <laughs> disclosed that he was a dropout. Um, and it's just kind of interesting where uh, if you go to say Mukesh's Wikipedia page today, it was like, it, it said something like, uh, Mukesh had to leave Stanford at his, <laughs> his father's insistence to help him build the business, you know. <laughs> but it's just kind of funny that he spent like decades lying about having an MBA. Hilarious. And then Steve Ballmer blew up his spot at oh. the CNBC summit. Um, but so, as we kind of mentioned at the top, Reliance, as of 2013, about 76% of their revenues are from oil and gas. From oil and gas. And... Uh, the story of this, again, lots of random complicated, uh, lots of complicated stuff here. But the story of this is basically um, India has you know various natural gas oil reserves, and they had a, a couple different schemes to extract these. They they had a couple different public companies, including the Oil and Natural Gas Company, again owned by the Indian government, um, and they got their technology from the Russians. They bought the technology for you know oil and natural gas exploration. But the Indian government, as we mentioned, 1991, there's this neoliberal turn. So they want to start, you know, selling uh, public assets off to private individuals. And mo- uh, oil and natural gas extraction is expensive. It's risky. You don't know if stuff will be there. So the Indian government comes up upon this scheme where essentially the, the public oil and natural gas company using Russian technology goes and discovers these wells but then once they discovered that there's oil or natural gas there, they sell them to private companies. So essentially, the uh, an Indian government company is doing all of the work right. and taking all of the risk. And then it's, you know, uh, giving the profits to private individuals, particularly so, Reliance So which part industry. of that process was Russian technology? <laughs> <laughs> the discovery stuff, yes. Oh, yes. They, they, <laughs> both parts. <laughs> the privatization was Russian technology. Um 
But like a chairman of the oil and natural gas company in 2001, he asked for the records of the years between 1993 and 95, and to his surprise, found that many files were missing, <laughs> files which came to like uh, important uh, records of transactions during the period. Um, and he also like uh, basically. He heard rumors that... The uh, most unbelievable part is that he was surprised. <laughs> but so, again, this was uh, what was called the New Exploration Licensing Policy, e NELP. And this is, again, the idea that the Indian government will discover these oil and natural gas wells, and then they'll sell them to private companies uh, so that the private companies can put in the cas capital to extract, and then there will be some sort of profit-sharing agreement with right. the government. Right. But um, and, and so... He also, this uh, uh, chairman of um, the uh, oil and natural gas company, uh, heard rumors that there was bid rigging because nominally these wells are supposed to be sold off on public auctions where the Indian public company also has the ability to make a to, bid. To yeah. bid. So he heard rumors that essentially Reliance was getting pre-tipped to what the Indian government <laughs> yeah, bid would be, be right. and they were able to like slightly beat it. And of course, as we've mentioned, endemic bribes and these kinds of things. Um, so essentially, in 2000... Uh, Reliance wins the rights to this natural gas uh, basin in the Bay of Bengal. It's called the KGD6 Basin. And uh, it's under this uh, production sharing agreement, which again, very complicated, has like this weird formula. But the long and short of the formula is that if Reliance, what their profit is, is based on their costs. So if Reliance uh, industry says their costs go up, they're able to increase their share of the profits. Right, right. So it, this is called gold plating, whereby Reliance starts, um, you know, charging, uh, marking up invoices for bathrooms and shit. Yeah, the military yeah. does this all the time. Right, Where exactly. they're like, fucking, this shit costs more to do when in reality it doesn't cost anything to them potentially, but then they need more money on the books. It's mm -hmm. like that episode of The Office where they got to spend money before the year's up or something. Mm -hmm. And so... You know the one. Wait, which military? You know the one. It's like, <laughs> it's like someone at your office um, who does all the ordering, just like taking part of it and selling it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> On their own. Yeah, yeah, Wait, I honestly don't know which military because I could totally be the American military. <laughs> or it the Indian military. It is. Uh, yeah, so I was someone, referring to someone orders military. way too much oh, okay. toner. Um, in one specific example, they would like trash a whole bunch of computers when the quarter you know whenever the time was up one of them was that like they wouldn't let the american soldiers do laundry they would f hire a person and pay them like you know two hundred dollars per load right. is what they're charging on paper and this is i believe this was in in, in iraq so yeah, yeah, yeah. they would like tr dump computers charge say people are doing jobs that don't cost nearly as much they're saying cost a whole bunch so that they can just take that money back and reinvest it into the or their own function of a, uh, of a business entity, in this case, the military. What, one of the most fucked up anecdotes from that, because this is from a documentary on like military contractors in Iraq. So KBR was like a Halliburton subsidiary. And so what they would do is they would uh, drive empty trucks mm -hmm. throughout the triangle of death. <laughs> so these fucking drivers have to drive through like the heart of the insurgency in Iraq, delivering literally nothing, nothing yeah. so that KBR can build the government for a trip where they delivered nothing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's essentially, and that's basically what got those Blackwater guys killed in yes. Fallujah. Yes, basically. Yes. Yeah. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, when we look at uh, corruption in business, it's not merely like, Oh, 
we spilled a cup of coffee, so we now need to buy more coffee or whatever. It's also just, hey, say you spilled all of the coffee. <laughs> say you destroyed these this shit, and then we'll just have two of them. I mean, it's kind of interesting, because I think that uh, every person is somewhat subject to, like, you order something off the internet, and then it doesn't show up, and they send you another one, you get two. And then do you do you send that back, or do you just end up having two of them? If you're the type of person that keeps both of them, you could be in the military or a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so basically Mukesh and Bonnie is able to increase the fortune because through bribery and bid rigging, they get the rights that should belong to the fucking public government company that discovered this, but to a massive, one of the biggest um, natural gas reserves in the entire country of India <laughs> under the Bay of, Bom- uh, Bay of Bengal. It's called the KGD6 uh, Basin. And um, it, it's interesting where... We can't go through all the different corruption stuff because, again, there's just too much. We but, could if you paid us $40 a month. Uh, but uh, just like one example from the Gas Wars book is VG, uh, VK Seaball uh, was formerly the head of the Directorate General of Hydrocarbons, the DGH in India. And he was investigated by the CBI, India's Central Bureau of Investigation. And so the the basic story with VK Seaball is that... Um, his daughters, RAL, this is from the Gas Horse books, uh, Reliance Industries had, quote, helped organize a stay in Mumbai for his daughters and furnished an apartment acquired uh, by his daughters. Um, in 2005, both sisters had been residents at Delai House, the VIP guests of uh, Reliance Industries, and the next year, uh, she had uh, another daughter had stayed at another Reliance facility. Um, the weekly, uh, the, the paper that reported this claimed to possess documents that clearly explained how Reliance Industries acquired a small firm that used it as a front company to buy an apartment for his daughters. So this kind of stuff, apart from just straight up briefcases full of cash, (laughs) they're, you know, uh, getting jobs for the children of various officials Mm -hmm. in the government or just straight out buying them apartments through front companies. And uh, just like another example, there was... um, in 2002, uh, another government, uh, uh, the Union Minister for Divestment, um, presided over the sale of 26% of the equity of the public sector company uh, Indian Petrochemicals Corporation Limited to the Reliance Group in May 2002. Um, and then the Reliance Group was able to dominate the Indian market for a wide variety of petrochemical products because of this privatization. So this happens all throughout the 90s, early 2000s. And... Um, Kind of the interesting conflict here is that Anal... Now we finally come to it. <laughs> Anil and Mukesh, the two brothers, have a falling out after their father dies in 2002. Interestingly enough, Anil, uh, Anil um, is kind of like cut out of the wheel a little bit because he marries a Bollywood actress and uh, his father doesn't approve of this. And he eats butt. Yes. Uh, so his father, like, doesn't leave an official will, but de facto he cuts Anil out. He gives, like, 70-some percent of the company to Mukesh. And uh, he, he did, he, like, he kind of... Devo- part, part of what's going on here mm-hmm. is that uh, Bollywood actresses are uh, traditionally from the Untouchable cast. <laughs> Go on, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> That's why his dad cut him out. Yeah. And, and so... Um, uh, like nominally, uh, the father didn't want to have like a fight between the siblings to over the inheritance, so he set them up in different divisions of Reliance Industries. But uh, Mukesh essentially schemes in a 2004. He through a complex shareholding pattern uh, through a maze of different investment front companies. He uh, 
uh, ala- he gets his cronies to occupy uh, directoral positions in various uh, investment companies within uh, Reliance Industries. And then he calls like a, a board meeting in 2004, which seems like to be totally innocuous and nothing going on. But at this board meeting in 2004, uh, he basically uh, makes it so that Anil no longer has any independent decision-making powers within the company. And then this gets tied up in courts. Uh, they originally have like uh, their mother brokers a settlement in 2005, whereby the long and short of this is that um, Reliance Industries, uh, Mukesh gets about 70% of the company, but Anil gets the right to have natural gas from this just privatized basin at about $2.42 for uh, per something like million British thermal units or whatever. But uh, Mukesh later wants to go back on that, so he gets the government to raise the price of natural gas from about two forty-two, because you know even though it's worth noting that while they were suing each other, yes, um, and having these like massive fights, mm-hmm. they were living in the same house <laughs> and had to make arrangements so that they wouldn't exit at the same time. <laughs> like they would go through like servants and like, probably their mother. So that, like, the whole time... Hey, Mom, when's Mukesh leaving? I gotta get out of here in 15, and he better not be in the driveway. <laughs> it, was, it was real, like, arrested development shit. That's so funny. Except they still had their money. Man, I don't know if I could ever forgive a person if I married them, and then my, my, my dad, in this case, was like, you're out of the fucking will because he married that person. Because mm. uh, he gets screwed out of, what, like $30 mil- billion, essentially, or $20 billion? Yeah, a lot of money. Could, could, would you sacrifice $20 billion to be with someone? I mean, is she a freak? If I could keep <laughs> $1 billion, sure, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, he's still worth $2.7 billion. I don't know. There's it's more money there's... than any one person could. He's worth more yeah. than fucking... I mean, neither one of them should exist. Peter so. Thiel. That's, that's fair, but... Let's keep this in man, perspective. Im- imagine having $20 more billion dollars at, at $1 billion. Like, mentally, I feel like you could do so much more. You probably couldn't in reality. It's not... Who, it's, yeah, but I mean, who got if control, she's a freak? Who got control like, of the Eve Online account, though? Eve Online. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, but so we kind of mentioned again, it's it's a complicated little setup. But even though this is nominally privatized, the government of India maintains the right to set kind of the price of natural gas. Uh, Neil so, went to Wharton. So uh, that's where um, both uh, Donald Trump went yeah. and. Um, our our new our new friend uh show low, show low. oh now i agree with their dad completely <laughs> <laughs> but so um basically what happens here is that a uh, warden man doesn't deserve 20 billion dollars <laughs> Anil wants to set up on his own. He wants to set up a power plant in India, and he wants to get this natural gas from his brother at a fixed price and use it to supply his power plant and build his own business empire. But Mukesh kind of fucks him out of this, where he goes to the government and gets them to raise the price of natural gas uh, for the entire industry from, I think it was like two forty-two per million British thermal unit, $2.42, all the way up to $4.20 per million uh, British thermal unit. And so uh, Anil sues him. There's like a big fight between the brothers. This goes all the way to the Indian Supreme Court, I believe in 2010, where Mukesh wins. But they also decide that the government has the right to set the price of natural gas. And so this kind of continues where we mentioned about the gold plating and the cost overruns. 
because Mukesh is sitting on uh, the, the one of the biggest wells of natural gas in India, he essentially realizes that the price of natural gas is going to go up in the future. Sure. So he starts pretending that, oh, we're running into all these supply problems or, oh, there's weather conditions or they start making up a bunch of bullshit to say, oh, we're just not able to deliver as much output right, as we right, thought right. we would Increase because supply. they're just trying to chill until the price goes up. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, they're lobbying the government to double the price of natural gas, which, of course, passed on to the consumers. So in 2013, the government announces that they're doubling the price from $4.20 per million British thermal unit to $8.40 per million British thermal unit. And this is just decided by the cabinet without a review of independent experts at all. And ironically enough, this and just general inflation, because the first price increase that we mentioned, it was passed on to the consumer in addition to like food and other inflation that was going on in India. This was like making it very hard for the average consumer. And uh, there was all this allegation that rightly Mukesh was lobbying for this massive increase in gas prices. So this, ironically enough, sweeps Modi to power in 2014. And Modi kind of splits the baby with regard to the uh, gas increase. Like instead of increase, instead of doubling it, he increases it just to uh, $5.61 per million British thermal unit. But in return uh, for uh, Mukesh, he... Uh, Modi completely deregulates diesel prices, uh, like there had been price controls on diesel. So instead, he just completely deregulates those, and all of a sudden, Reliance is able to just uh, pop up its entire uh, legacy of diesel pumps and uh, industry just almost overnight when Modi takes power. Well, Anil yeah. had the well. last laugh because uh, he uh, provided funding for Lincoln. Oh! So he got to meet Daniel Day-Lewis, probably. Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you funding a, if you're funding a movie, like <laughs> you kind of the actors have to kiss your ass. Are you looking at his Wikipedia? Yes. Um, there's another thing he mentioned. There's where he funded a film that like the French president's wife was in mm-hmm. while working for a contract, which was uh, in cahoots with the French uh, company. Oh, nice. Yeah. So he uh, he's got his, he's a dirty producer, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Wait, which French president? Uh, Francis something something. It says it right there, Andy. Oh, Sarkozy. I don't know. I can't read. Sarkozy. I don't know. No. Daniel Day Lewis met him as in character as Lincoln and was like, "You're not the kind of Indian I did mass hangings." <laughs> <laughs> I'm in character. What, what do you want from me? Um, but so- oh, what Lincoln wouldn't it be racist to an East Indian person <laughs> to his face? Oh, I would have loved to see DDL doing in-character <laughs> defending of being racist <laughs> yeah. to people. Oh, but so Daniel, it's... you can't call him a poon job. Well, why not, huh? <laughs> it was historically written that Abraham Lincoln hated the Punjabs. <laughs> I don't see why I can't call him a, a dirty Punjab to his face. He listened. He is a Punjab. This is not an offensive Indian accent. It's my impression of Daniel Day Lewis playing Lincoln. I never saw it. Was any good? That's yeah, not bad. Yeah. Um, but so, again, the irony here is that because of Mukesh's corruption, the Indian government was completely thrown out of power in 2014, and Modi, oh. who was the governor of the state in which uh, Reliance Industries had its main operations, was thrown in on this anti-corruption wave, and uh, 
again, he kind of splits the baby with regard to the price raise. He doesn't lo- doesn't raise it as much as the government was going to, but he uh, deregulates uh, uh, diesel fuel. And just again from the Gas Wars book, in May 2008, Reliance had closed its 1,400-odd fuel pumps owing to mounting losses uh, because of the state price controls and the state subsidies. In the first three months since Modi's deregulation, Reliance was able to reopen 230 of its fuel outlets. Wow. And so... You know, Modi kind of like lets them take over a large part of the uh, uh, diesel fuel industry in India. And also, um, uh, Mukesh has, using his like massive capital base, become one of the major players in India's cell phone market under yeah. Modi. Like they give away like dirt cheap plans right. that come with free smartphones or whatever. And Modi, controversially enough, was even featured in one of their ads. Really? It was like a newspaper ad with uh, Prime Minister Modi in it for the company. You know, yeah. Um, the Ambani family now is mostly known, well, not mostly, but but uh, widely regarded for their cell phone uh, providing in India. But mm-hmm. their phones are no good. Uh, Modi's greatest hit uh, before becoming prime minister was uh, he was a minister in uh, Gujarat. Uh, there was a. Uh, uh, train was set on fire and approximately 60 passengers were killed and so he declared a day of mourning which uh mourning with you with a you uh which apparently was a, a wink wink do a pogrom and uh about approximately 2000 people were killed mostly muslims mm. and coincidence and, no and uh the police looked the other way uh, after, as a result, he was banned from many countries, including the United States, where he could not visit until 2014 when he was elected prime minister of India. Um, but now he can come to the U.S.? Well, yeah. He, he, uh, the ban was lifted when he became prime minister. <laughs> and so he like came to America and like packed out Madison Square Garden sure. um, and got a photo op with Elmo. Hmm. Um, and now he's just kind of... Uh, despite having a background with the RSS uh, group that was previously known as the group that produced the guy who assassinated Gandhi, uh, he, uh, despite that, he's now just seen in the world stage as this lovable technocrat. Mm. Uh, Teddy Bear, like he likes to say that IT plus IT equals IT, which is information technology plus Indian talent equals India's tomorrow. Well, the math very, adds up. Very, yeah. very controversially, um, that photo with Elmo, the red dye was provided entirely by pig's blood. Oh. <laughs> um, also, he's but, a virgin. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. But so, you know, and th- that kind of uh, gives you the broad swaths of how Mukesh Ambani was able to get to, to $44 billion. Again, he's like such a major player in this natural gas market that should belong to the Indian government. Uh, interestingly enough, the um, uh, Indian public company, uh, uh, the Oil and National Gas Corporation, would sue uh, Reliance Industries, uh, alleging that they had illegally drawn just uh, billions of dollars, I-, I believe $5 billion U.S. dollars, uh, worth of uh, natural gas was stolen by reliance from areas that uh, the oil and natural gas company had legal right to. Really? Because they would just, you know, drink your milkshake, yeah. drill under there and take what was... And of course, because reliance had such... I don't get the reference. <laughs> ...has such major connections to the government, this is like 
it's been protected at all these different stages where there would be different audits that would say, hey, Reliance is clearly gold plating or, hey, Reliance is doing shady shit. And Reliance would just refuse to submit documents to the auditors right, right. and the government would protect them at various stages. And So what you're saying is that one brother went with Lincoln and the other <laughs> one went with there will be blood. <laughs> but um, I guess, you know, we, we can't get to everything, but I do just want to talk about Antilia because Antilia is like the fucking most brazen shit I've ever read about in my life. Antilia is the largest single family home in the world. Uh, it was uh, Mukesh and Bonnie bought the land for it in 2002. Uh, construction finished 2007. But in 2002, when he bought the land, it was a fucking orphanage in Mumbai, <laughs> which he knocked down and built a 400,000 square foot private residence, the largest single family home in the world. And it's this giant, ugly tower that juts out of the Mumbai skyline. Now, before you judge him, I'm mm -hmm. sure he hired many of those orphans to help build the tower. It was actually the orphans featured in the movie Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> the, uh, those act, those child actors, their homes were displaced for this monstrosity. It's 27 stories high, but it has extra they high ceilings. They paid better to build the thing than they were to act in Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> Uh, Antilia uh, requires a staff of 600 for maintenance, including three helipads, a 160-car garage, private movie theater, swimming pool, fitness center, and many more anemones. Yo, uh, even that number, like it might be 600 people, amenities. but it might just be fucking 40, and it's like, ah, it's 600. You, no one's counting the amount of employees in this building. I need, I need 600 people's worth of money to fund this building. It is a uh, value. It is the world's most expensive private residential property, valued at over two billion dollars. Um, and uh, but it's sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying. So the other part of the story is um, under a 1995 law, the board that ran the orphanage, which again was to educate the underprivileged children of Mumbai, <laughs> the board that ran the orphanage under a 1995 law had no legal right to sell it to him, but he just. Uh, paid all of them off and uh, engaged in bribery of the director. Sure, yeah. And then through like some other little scheme, they, they passed it off like, oh, this is like not applicable to the law because this property is held by X entity over here. And they were able to sell it to him. And this is actually like still tied up in court to this day. <laughs> but he was able to just ignore this law and set up a giant fucking private mansion residence. And um, it, it's just... What I don't a, know. What a fucking crook. <laughs> oh, do should should children without parents deserve education and a and a and a fucking roof over their head? No. I deserve the largest house in the world. But as we all know, real estate is about location, and if this house was anywhere else, it would be worth more. <laughs> He's giving them the practical education of having a giant tower to look up to mm -hmm. and dream that mm -hmm. one day mm -hmm. they will fucking raid that tower in a revolution. <laughs> Man, oh I, yeah, in the in the book, the billionaire Raj, there's a quote where, like, another billionaire is like, "Why would he do that? That <laughs> that is what causes revolutions." Yeah. <laughs> the kids at the orphanage, those Sikh party party kids. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so you know, look, we we can't get to everything, but the in addition to other scandals, there's. We'll wait. We'll yeah. we'll just skip to the uh, end of his life. Rose, <laughs> <laughs>
there was another scandal where Reliance was um, showing long-distance phone calls originating from the U.S. as if they were local calls mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and bilking the government out of millions of dollars there. There was another scandal with uh, tax cheating through uh, The Umbanis are fucking leeches. It's as simple as that. They say the work they're going to do is going to cost X amount, and then they charge Y. They're You're fucking so- Trump in a goddamn brown skin suit. Would you say all billionaires are parasites? Yeah, I think I would. Seems seems like it'd be a good thing to put do you on have, a do t-shirt. Do you have a Hillary drop? <laughs> I just I just want to believe in the power of billionaires, you know. Oh, weren't you saying that Mukesh's son maybe killed somebody? I know in that billionaire Raj book that Andy yeah. read, they were oh, allegedly involved in a car yeah, accident. Yeah, so no, they didn't. He didn't kill somebody, but he did. Uh, so what happened is that. Um, there was this Aston Martin just like racing down the street, uh, weaving in and out of traffic, and then he just hit a car, caused like this four car pile up. No one got killed. Um, so there's another story where because this Aston Martin thing happened, but then there's another one that happened. I think in 2017 where he was oh. drunk driving mm. and may have killed two people. But oh, then shit. like the like ZTV was like. We're pretty sure it's Ambani, and then some of the police reports were like, "No, this guy had a mustache." <laughs> no, yeah. they they pulled the that, that ain't the guy we're looking for. Our guy's got a mustache trick. Yeah, yeah, so, and they got the the first like they clearly did it the first time with the Aston Martin, mm-hmm. where like the car crashed, and then it was being trailed by three security cars, and so they just kind of loaded him or loaded the driver into one of the security cars and like zipped off and left the Aston Martin there. And uh, they later said, oh, it's a comp- the, the Aston Martin's owned by the company. It was being test driven by a member of the, the company. company. Right, right, right. And uh, the police were like, oh, uh, we can't find it. We're sending it in for testing. And then the Aston Martin apparently just sat outside the police station under a gray blanket for like two years sure, before sure, just sure. disappearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, they were running, quote, testing on right, it. Right, right, right. Um, and the person who got hit originally, like, made kind of a stink about it. And then she got quieter and quieter, oh, I think, as um, some money started flowing uh, in her She direction. has been seen on yachts on the coast <laughs> of Bombay. Yeah, the other thing is that one of his kids, if you just Google, like, Mukesh Bonnie's sons, in Bing, at least, one of the autocompletes is, like, Mukesh Ambani's son, mentally disabled. <laughs> so I don't know if he has a disability or not, but the internet believes he does, which is eh, sometimes enough information for me. The uh, wedding that Isha Ambani, which cost $100 million, she married uh, this dude who parents run the Piramal Group, P-I-R-A-M-A-L. And so it's um, it's a wedding of love, in quotations, but it's also just two businesses saying, <laughs> we like to fuck now. <laughs> And uh, the guy she married looks uh, kind of like a creep. Got to be honest with you. If it comes out that this dude uh, shitty, I'm not going to be shocked. Look at his face. Look at those eyes. They're dead on the inside. <laughs> I like the idea of um, uh, Mukesh Ambani's son killing two people and being like, oh, I thought I was driving through a chic temple. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so like, and then just like two other weird... Turns out they're Muslim and like Modi just grants them a pardon. Hey, I want to mention one thing real quick. I don't know if, if I have enough legs for this, but I was watching some Indian news, um, 
on YouTube about Ambani, and yeah. there's something about the CIA yes. and an agent named Fernandez and Indira Gandhi from the 70s that Mukesh Ambani is somehow connected to, or no, Dhirubhai is connected to, but I don't know exactly how. But I think that the contracts that um, Reliance ended up cutting with the Indian government through Indira Gandhi were somehow um, assisted by... Uh, Fernandez, the CIA agent. Now, I don't know that much more about this, but if any of our listeners know what I'm trying to say, please let us, please tell us. <laughs> it's been keeping me awake for four weeks now. <laughs> uh, so I just want to uh, close out with two other weird coincidences um, from uh, Mukesh Ambani, which, okay, so there's two instances of suspicious deaths. <laughs> and Just uh, two? <laughs> that we know of. And again, we're just making it very difficult for Yogi's next return trip to India. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, again, as we mentioned, Ambani, Mukesh Ambani is the richest person in India. The Indian media is very reluctant to criticize him or publish any sort of negative pieces about things going on for all sorts of varieties of reasons, including his influence in the government, his, his money, his connections. So during the dispute between the two brothers, Anil and Mukesh, in April 2009... One uh, a private company um, that ran helicopters for Anil Ambani. Um, what happens is one of the helicopters in April 2009 uh, is supposed to ferry Anil and some of his people around, uh, but one of the technicians who happened to be there decided to conduct a final check and found that a uh, the cap of the filter neck was not fitted properly. He opened it uh, and found a peanut-sized pebbles inserted inside had it taken off it would have crashed and exploded killing oh anil and bonnie now the the weird thing about what happens to this guy the technician is a guy's name uh barat uh borgi um he initially suspects uh, corporate rivalry uh and reports it as such to the police a few days later borgi's body was found on the railway tracks in mumbai with a quote suicide note in his pocket addressed to the investigating officer the note, the note read, <laughs> the note read, quote, my parents have brought me up with the right values and I would never get involved uh, in any wrong activity. Um, uh, when, uh, after you questioned me, after the police officers questioned me, Reliance officials visited me and they asked me some questions, but I didn't tell them anything. One of them took my number and said they would talk to me again the next day. I got scared that I would be, quote, used. I wanted to inform you about the meeting, but when I visited the crime branch office last night, I saw a person being beaten up, and that scared me, and I came back. Your investigation is proceeding in the right direction, and the truth will come out soon. Uh, that's what he said, and the police claim that he threw himself in front of the, the track, but it's so weird because according to one what? source... The note that it was the suicide note in his yeah. pocket was quote too clean and was oh not crumpled. What? <laughs> How can you get so, run over by a fucking train and then yes. not have a crumpled note on you? Yes, that depends on the angle that you're hit. <sighs> you know, I've, I'm, you know, I'm just you saying, know, Andy, you fucking ruin everything. And then uh, the other one is uh, like, what pocket was it in, and what side did the train hit him? <sighs> it doesn't matter. It could. It's way really, too crisp. Way too crisp. So, you, you ever have a crisp dollar bill in your wallet? It gets uncrisp, even if you don't get hit by a train. I'm, I'm just saying, we got to look at all the facts. 
So uh, Mark Ames, uh, a journalist noted for his respect of uh, Russian women and age of, <laughs> age of consent laws within Russia, but he was actually publishing a blog at some point, and he wrote an interesting... Oh, publishing a blog. Yes. Okay. <laughs> he wrote an interesting story, which was about how the chief minister of uh, a province, I believe uh, in Dira Pradesh, or was it... Uh, Basically, the chief minister of a province that was raising some objections uh, over the Embani, the Embani brothers' um, uh, fight over the gas uh, deposits, mysteriously died in a helicopter crash <laughs> three days after uh, he. So basically, this chief minister was saying that uh, the um, government should investigate and play a decisive role in this uh, natural gas dispute. Um, it is for the government to decide who should get the gas and what price. It is not to be decided by the mother or these two brothers. And, uh, you know, made, made a lot of um, very strong remarks. And then, of course, several days later, uh, dies in a helicopter crash. And so the the ending to this story with uh, Mark Ames is he publishes this blog post. And then about four months later, uh, an Indian TV station runs a report on this, this mysterious murder of um, uh, or this mysterious death, I should say, in a helicopter crash of a chief minister just days after he was very critical of the Ambani brothers. And it causes a mass riot in India, leaving 185 people arrested and about 100 businesses linked to the Ambani's uh, burned to the ground. <laughs> Um, but wow. he, yeah, and, and just like interestingly enough, he also mentions uh, Mark Ames does that Larry Summers, uh, up until he went to work for the Obama administration, was uh, one of Mukesh Ambani's chief business managers. <laughs> so you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> well, now- Larry Summers coordinated two murders in India. Now I'm more afraid to go back to India than ever before. There's this. Um- uh, Interestingly you, enough, at a, at his daughter's wedding, people were doing the train tracks dance, <laughs> <laughs> where you lie down and pretend to have somebody put a note in your pocket. <laughs> uh. There's a, um, an incredibly popular news host in uh, in India called uh, Arna Arna uh, Gaswami. <laughs> We make fun of him for his pronunciation. He can't make fun of you. Did I, did I do it right? Did I do it wrong? I don't think so. Okay. What cast is he? Uh, <laughs> what's, what's his Yogi? N- Yogi needs to know before we move on to I this do, segment. Yes, and I, I need you to figure out his net worth in 1994. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, oh, he's Brahmin. Oh, he's. Oh, you, uh, you can continue with their story. <laughs> awesome, he's Brahmin. Mm, okay. Uh, and so he's this uh, very uh, incendiary news host, very like Fox News type. Uh, even John Oliver made that connection at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I looked up to see if he had anything to say about Mukesh Ambani. And the uh, first thing I got was on Quora, uh, is nice. uh, Arnab Goswami afraid of Mukesh Ambani? Uh, this was submitted uh, over a year ago and there have been no answers. And then related questions, is Arnab Goswami a Jew? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's the only reason you brought up this? To read that question? Yeah. <laughs> so he's a member of the merchant class. <laughs> Cast. Uh, well, uh, I guess that, you know, again, we weren't able to get to everything with... Well, we're going to round out this episode with the Quora quote, is an Indian guy a Jew? <laughs> Great reports, everyone. <laughs> Uh, question we will be answering in a future episode. That's right. That's <laughs> you right. You know what I love about the internet? How it democratizes information. 
Any person, no matter their social standing, can go online and pose to billions of people whether or not an Indian TV presenter is a Jew. Arnab Goswami. Jew? Right. If our listeners could help us answer that question as well, we would greatly appreciate it. Send all answers to Quora.com slash Grubstakers. Put, put, put the triple echo over his name and post. <laughs> uh, but there- yeah. Uh, Mukesh Ambani, um, $100 million on a birthday, 400,000 square foot mansion, buys his wife a $60 million private mm-hmm, jet as a mm-hmm. birthday present, uh, all while living in a country where uh, 42% of the underweight children under five years old live. So, <laughs> so good billionaire in conclusion. But, um, you know, again, we weren't able to get to any, everything, but uh, if we miss some stuff about Mukesh Ambani, we will do a future episode about his brother, Anil. So uh, hit us up on Twitter or uh, at the Grubstakers podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, and uh, check out our Tumblr with yes. all of the links to everything we've researched on this episode. It'll be up in several months. If you recorded any uh, pop tracks uh, about partying, we would also love to have those. <laughs> Um, we would like to have the most extensive library of corrupt billionaire uh, music music produced by Swizz Beats. <laughs> Ironically I'm enough. I'm more of a Just Blaze fan myself. <laughs> um, autotune was invented because of uh, Deepwater Oil Expert. That's right. Exxon. Yeah. Exxon yeah. Uh, yeah, they created so, autotune. Do you know about this? I've heard bits and pieces. Well, we'll talk more about it on a future episode. Yes. Uh, next week, we'll be covering the king of Jimmy John's, Jerry Jones. I thought he was uh, the Cowboys owner. He is. <laughs> but yes, as per... Uh, His initials are JJ. That was a suggestion mm-hmm. on Twitter that we uh, take a look at Jerry Jones, and he'd be a fascinating guy. So uh, if, again, if you have uh, uh, stuff you'd like us to look at for Jerry Jones or other billionaires, hit us up at Pod on Twitter. Turns out he uh, did not uh, die in a mass suicide in the jungle. <laughs> And with that, this has been Grubstakers. I'm Yogi Powell. I like how like next week's episode is going to be like nominally about how this guy's a bad billionaire, but it's all just going to be Seattle people bitter that the Cowboys <laughs> just beat us. <laughs> like, let's look at the Cowboys and their role in CTE. Much different from Seattle, <laughs> which takes uh, very serious precautions to prevent concussions and CTE among their players. <laughs> Seattle is an ethical NFL team. That's right. All right. Anyways, hey, thank you for listening. Happy 2019. Uh, We wish you all the blessings in the world. And uh, please hit us up with uh, uh, keep your feedback coming with the podcast. We're excited for another year of covering billionaires. We love y'all. Yeah. With Adam Sean McCarthy. Steve Jeffries. Andy Palmer. Uh, Good night. Bye.